God bless you. I started a month ago, I think, tonight um, on something I said I felt like I would spend some time on, and I'm going to pick up on it tonight, and then I won't be teaching on it for a couple of more weeks. I will be leaving my family and I on Monday for our summer vacation, so, but I want to, uh, I want to pick up for it a little bit tonight, and uh, as I said, a month ago when I started this, this is something that the Lord is dealing with me, talking to me, helping me with, and I realize, um, I think every preacher here has been told this at some point, individually or publicly, you have to be careful because not everything God's dealing with you about is for everybody else. So you don't just assume because God's talking to you, you're supposed to preach that, teach that, whatever. And so I will tell you, I, I, I proceed with this cautiously in that I do believe that uh, while this is extremely important for me and where I am right now, uh, that it also applies to a lot of others. And so I'm not simply sharing it because it's uh, what God's dealing with me about. So... Um, for those of you that were here a month ago, kind of a quick reminder for those of you that weren't, kind of a quick foundation. There's a couple of words that we introduced, and that's the word vision, the word purpose, and the word identity. Uh, these kind of being three key words. Um, the problem is we have a tendency to start with vision, and then we kind of work down. We look at vision, we find purpose, and then we establish our identity. And so I believe that my purpose comes from my place in the vision. What I do is based on what my role is in the vision. And probably more so in this context, I'm talking about the corporate vision God has for us as a body. And then my identity comes from my purpose. However, God establishes these in reverse order. So my identity must be settled first. We have a tendency to find the vision, what is my place in the vision, and that gives me my identity. But first and foremost, we need to settle who we are, and then I can fulfill my purpose and find my place in the vision. I need to hit play, because you guys are seeing what I'm seeing, sorry. Now let's see if we can catch up to where we're supposed to be. So... There we go. Vision, the act or power of anticipating that which will or may come to be. And then purpose is the reason for which something exists or is done, made, made used, etc. So every one of us have been created for a purpose. Everybody has a purpose. So vision is where you're going. Purpose is what you are created to do. Identity is who you are. And then I remind you... Jesus kind of had bookends on his ministry in which his identity was challenged. And so what the devil tries to do is challenge our identity by getting us to do something to prove who we are. When we shouldn't have to do something to prove who we are. So for example, Jesus immediately after his baptism goes into the wilderness and the first thing that Satan shows up and says is, prove you're the son of God by... Turning these stones into bread. So do something. 
The problem is when you, the, from the moment you start doing something to prove who you are, you can't stop doing something to prove who you are. If your worth becomes based on what you do to produce, prove who you are, you gotta keep doing something to keep proving. And so at the very beginning, the first test was, turn these stones in the, if you are who you say you are, do this and prove it. And he had to get that settled because at the very end, he's hanging on the cross and now people come by and say what? If you are who you say you are, what? Prove it. By what? Doing something. And so from the start of his ministry, he had to get it settled. I'm who I am no matter what I do. He comes up out of the waters of baptism. The voice comes from heaven and says what? This is. Not will be, not shall be, not may be. This is my beloved Son in whom I am, not will be, well pleased. Notice please, when, when that voice came from heaven and said he was well pleased in his Son, the Son had basically done nothing yet. So we have a tendency to try to please God by, by, what, by what we do. When God is pleased with us by who we are. And so then at the very end, again, he had, to be con- he had to be confident in who he was and not take the bait. I said it yesterday in the message in the funeral. People have a tendency when God doesn't to say God isn't. Meaning when God doesn't do something we ask him to do, then they start saying there isn't a God. God doesn't have to prove Himself in my life by doing something. He's God. He is God. No matter what my opinion or thoughts are, He is. And He doesn't have to do a few tricks to prove to me He's God. So He gets to Jesus, gets to the end of His ministry and hanging there on the cross and, and doing exactly what He was supposed to be doing because of who He was. There's that final temptation, prove who you are, by doing something. I said, I, I had one, I didn't bring one tonight, but remind you that a quarter is a quarter, no matter where it is, no matter what it's doing. also thought of this this evening, it's also a quarter no matter what the date on it is. Doesn't matter if it's a 1972 quarter or a 2015 quarter, it's still worth 25 cents. So it doesn't matter if it's in my pocket, it doesn't matter if it's on my shelf, it doesn't matter if I'm using it at Goodwill or Nordstrom, it does not matter, it maintains the same worth, the same value. Somehow you and I have got to get settled, my worth and my value is not based on my use, it's not based on what I'm doing or not doing right now, my worth and my value remains the same. I know I'm not talking to anybody tonight. I know I'm, I'm, I know this doesn't apply to anybody tonight. I know there's nobody tonight that you struggle with ups and downs because when God's using you, you have great worth. And then when God sets you or lets you be on the shelf for a while, you now question your worth. So your identity needs to be settled because it doesn't matter what you're doing or not doing. You are who you are. So the, the important thing now, this is launching into new. The important thing is, 
Who am I? And really, I believe that question needs to get, that, that question for everybody has one answer. Your worth must come not, your worth must come, excuse me, from who you are, not from what you do. It must come from who you are, your identity, not from what you do. Say it again. Your worth must come from who you are, not from what you do. Some of you saw my post on Instagram or Facebook of Sister Lawson, Mother Lawson. That, that you, can't, you can't change the value and the worth of that woman because of her age and lack of ability to perhaps do what she used to do. There is a worth that comes from her because of who she is. So some of our, 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 our uh, seasoned saints here tonight, because you don't do what you used to do and can't do what you used to do, your value and your worth has not diminished. I think part of the problem we have so much trouble with transitions in life is because we take our value and our worth from what we're doing. And so when it comes time to let go and let somebody else take over, we have trouble letting go because that's not what I do, that's who I am. Hello? So it's hard letting go of what I do because that's become who I am. When again, as Paul said, who I am is one thing. Doesn't matter where I am, what I'm doing, what the circumstances are, I am one thing. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. And so I am serving at this time doing this. And when God decides it's time for a reassignment and somebody else now takes my place, my ministry... We have trouble. Because that's who I am. You ever notice when we ask somebody, when we're talking jobs, you ask, so what do you do? They'll say, well, I am. I'm a lawyer. I'm a whatever. That's not who you are. It's what you do. It's not who you are. That is what you do. So, what is, and, and I, I'm not getting ready to wow you with some deep revelation in the answer to this question. I'm not, so... Be prepared. What is the answer to our identity? John 1, 1 John, 1, excuse me, 1 John 3 and 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Bottom line, who you are and who I am is a son of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. The fact that the world doesn't recognize or know us is not any indicator of the lack of reality or validity of what we are and who we are. They don't know Him. So if they don't know Him, they can't know us. Beloved, now. Somebody say now. Now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know. That when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him 
as he is. Meaning there's a whole lot of room left for transformation in my life. But even though there's a lot of room left to grow, I'm not going to become any more of a son tomorrow than I am today. Amplified says it this way. I see what an incredible quality of love the Father has given, shown, bestowed on us that we should be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. And so we are. And so we are. The reason that the world does not know, recognize, acknowledge us is that it does not know, recognize, or acknowledge Him. Beloved, we are, even here and now, God's children. It is not yet disclosed or made clear what we shall be hereafter, but we know that when He comes and is manifested, we shall, as God's children, resemble and be like Him, for we shall see Him just as He really is. What an incredible quality of love the Father has given, that we should be permitted, we should be called Sons, children, we are the sons of God. I know most of you know this, but I remind you, that's not about gender. Collectively tonight, we are the bride of Christ. When we come together, we're the bride. But individually, male or female, we are sons. Male or female, when we come together, we are the bride. So, so here's, here's, the, here's our... Let me... Let me Try this. Let me see. Uh, Brother Barr, help me out if you would, please. Brother Fowler, you help me out. Uh, let's see. Um, pick on the. Just come stand up here for a moment, if you would. Brother Mars, you come. You can bring that beautiful baby with you. You don't have to give her up. You can. You can bring her up here. Show her off. Come on. Uh, let's see. So um, let me see here. Don't tell me no, because I will definitely pick you if you tell me no. Come here, David. And then, uh, come here, Gordon. Come up here for a second. So why don't you guys, kind of, you guys kind of come over here. So uh, this is this is Morris, and he is, uh, he is, um, anybody know anything about um, Sesame Street and the drummer? What's the drummer on there called? Animal. This dude is the animal on the drums. He is a beast. So we, we, got a, we got a drummer here. This is Brother Fowler. Brother Fowler is Antioch Kids Ministry Director. We got Brother Barr, who is an elder of a congregation. We got David, who plays the bass. But other than that, you got any titles or positions right now? We'll get there in a minute. Don't mess me up. And we got Jordan, right? You, uh, you lead a congregation? No? You a corporate ministry director no okay all right so so we got we, we got a, kind of got a variety so so here here's the thing we have a son of god 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 right and we got we got a variety of of roles and positions of sons of god but let me jump in this mix senior pastor of antioch the apostolic church Tell me, please, which one of us is more of a son of God than the other? Am I more of a son of a God, a son of, not a G-U-N, a son of God, 
I'm more of a son of God than the rest of these guys because I am the senior pastor of Antioch. Is Brother Barr any more a son of God than Jordan because he is a congregation elder and he's not? But let's be honest, that's not really how we think. But I've come to tell you tonight, our identity comes from who we are, and who we are, no matter what we do, is a son of God. You got the Holy Ghost, Jordan? Been baptized? Yeah, how old are you? Ten years old. Brother Barn, I know you got it. How old are you, if you don't mind, since you're a male, I can ask that question. How old are you, Brother Barr? 51. I think you're the eldest up here. So, the 51-year-old is no more a son than the 10-year-old. Our problem is this. When we come before God, we stack ourselves up by what we do. And so... Depending on what your role or position is, you approach God in a different way. I can approach God with these guys subconsciously that I'm the superior son because I got the higher title. But there's a lot of other people, when I get around God with them, I take a back seat because they're higher than I am. When it comes to our relationship with God, our individuality, we are all the same. And the problem when we do derive our worth from what we do, then we start stacking ourselves up. And then we develop a hierarchy. I, I mean, let's put the pecking order in place up here. I must be at the top. He's probably second. He'd be third, fourth, fifth, and definitely sixth. I know I'm not talking to any of y'all tonight. And you never do that. But I'm telling you, when we come to God as individuals, there is not one of us that is more of a son than the other. That's who you are. You want to know your worth and your value? You are a son of God. What... What can you do to change how much of a son you are? What can I do to become any more of a son of Chester Wright than I am? What did I do to become a son of Chester Wright? I'll show you what. Yeah, I did something. I did. You ain't nothing. I did something. I did this. I took a breath, and the moment I took a breath at birth, I was a son. And at 43, and a grown man, I am no more of his son now than I was the second I was born and couldn't do anything. Thank you, brethren. You can be seated. Our problem is we got to get a new position and a new title so we can be a more important or a bigger, better son. If I left this place tonight, went and did something absolutely stupid, committed some crime, and they threw me in jail for the rest of my life, how much of a son do I cease to be? My dad can choose to disown me. Doesn't change the fact. You contributed to me being in this world. 
You may not want to have anything to do with me. That's your decision. You can't change who I am. Obviously, I am not teaching and promoting tonight. Do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying. Obviously, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is we got to get past this deal that we stack up before God. I understand that we have roles and responsibilities. And based on our roles and responsibilities, we have different levels of authority. I understand that. But that doesn't change our sonship. Absolutely convinced there is a limit on what God can do in and through our lives until we get this settled. There is only so much He can do because as long as we let our worth be tied to what we do, if He starts doing great things through us, our worth starts rising and then usually our pride starts rising. But if I maintain the attitude, I can do nothing without the Father... Without Him, I can do nothing. That whatever happens in me and through me is not because of me. It's only because of Him. Then that releases Him to be able to use me without limitations because He knows whatever I do through you is not going to change who you think you are. The the majority of the people, I think the majority, brother you, I think you'd be the one that could help me with it, but it'd be safe to say the majority of people, not the minority, the majority of people in this room tonight, or this sanctuary tonight, are involved in some role of ministry. That's why some of us cannot become content with where we are, and we're constantly looking for a promotion. Because when, I, when, when my worth is connected to my position, my worth can only go as high as my position. And so when I am no longer satisfied with my worth at this position, I need another position. I want to be real bold right now, and some of you may not like it, may not agree. Oh well. Some of you are trying to be something you're not called to be. You're trying to do things you're not gifted to do. And part of the reason is because what you're trying to do has a higher status than what it is you're really called to do. So we're constantly looking for the next opportunity rather than looking for where God wants us. And so we've got men who are striving to be congregation leaders, because if you can become that, then you have achieved the epitome of success at Antioch, when God hasn't called you to be that. So the bottom line is this, the moment you start trying to do something that you weren't created to do, you are a failure. (laughs) I am not a success if I achieve a higher position than I was created to achieve. I can only be successful by doing what God has called me to do. I I, I think I used the analogy the first week. I can drive nails with this microphone. I can. I guarantee you I could. Give me a nail, I could drive it in that platform with this microphone. 
Is that what the designer had in mind for this? Is that what it was created for? So therefore, if I use it to drive a nail, what's going to happen? It's going to get, at the very least, dented and scratched. At the very worst, it's going to break apart. And so when we're not content to be used for what God created us for, we try to function in another position or role than God created us, we may actually do what we're trying to do. But more than likely, when we're done, we're not going to be who we were. I've used non-tools as tools. I've done it. And I've usually done with non-tools what I was trying to do, but more often than not, whatever I used ended up damaged by the time I got done. See, we, 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 you know, the problem is in the extremes is where, I mean, you know, if, 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 um, uh, I know I, you can handle it, so do you know how to play the keyboard? No. So, if I told you, I want you to go up there and get on that keyboard and you're going to lead us in a song, what do you expect to happen? <laughs> Probably a lot more of that if you're unkind. So we understand it would be ridiculous for me to expect Chester to get up on the keyboard and start playing and lead us in a song. We understand that in the extremes. But there's some other ways we, we don't understand that. We don't accept that. When it comes to some other areas of ministry, it doesn't matter that you aren't gifted to do it. Bless God, I'm going to do it. And you try to do it, and it's really a disaster. And you know, one of the... This is probably all flesh right now, okay? Got that? I am stating this is probably all flesh. One of the saddest things is when somebody is trying to do something that's not their gifting, and they have no clue they're not succeeding. <laughs> that can tend to be a kind of a painful process. You ever see some of those videos on YouTube, somebody got a video of themselves or face whatever of singing and you were like, God have mercy. And they have no idea how off they are and how bad it is. They are convinced they are, they are God's gift to the world. Paul said we, that, that the body's got many members. And every member has a, a role and a responsibility. And success and your worth is by fulfilling that responsibility. And so, so what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the Son. You, you think of some of the things God could have called us. That we could have been referred to. We could have been just... I, I know we are supposed to be servants, but our primary role, what we are identified by, could have been servants. It could have been just citizens. It could have been uh, followers. It, but, but John says we have been called the sons of God. What manner of love to be called the sons of God. 
There's not many things like being a son or daughter in the world where you don't, you've done nothing to deserve it, earn it. It's just who you are. And isn't it amazing? So God says we're sons, and so we are what? Born again. So what do you have to do to become a son? Take a breath. How do you take a breath? Repent of your sins. Get baptized in Jesus' name. Get filled with the Holy Ghost. Speak in other tongues. That's a breath. You are now a son. I can work to develop myself as a pastor and get better, get more training and, and, and study more and, and pray more and to do a better job at what I do. And I should do that. Paul said to Timothy, study to show yourself approved. You need to be ready. You need to be prepared. But none of those things make me any better of a son or more of a son than I was. manner of love that we should be called the sons of now now not future tense there there is more developing that i have to do there's more until jesus comes there's space for growth and transformation but i never change the fact that i'm i'm a son so i i thought of this you know, all of you very spiritual folks will just have to tolerate me for the next few moments. It is common when a champ, when in, in professional sports, when a team wins, you get a ring. Now, just in case you can't see, in honor of Brother Stewart, we've got a San Antonio Spurs ring up there. Um, then we have a Cowboys ring up there, and... That's the privilege of being the one making the PowerPoint. And then hopefully more of us can agree at, with the Orioles ring up there. So at, at the conclusion of a championship, the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals, the World Series, I believe NHL does the same, Stanley Cup, I believe that does the same thing. At the conclusion of that, you get a ring. In fact, they have it usually in the next season. They will have a presentation for rings in a, at a game. So who gets a ring? When any major league sports team, NBA, NFL, MLB, wins a championship, all members of the organization receive a ring. This means that aside from the starting players, the reserve players, the coaching staff, and the administration for the organization receive a ring. Everyone on the team gets a ring. And, 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 and Stephen Curry did not get a different ring than the guy on the end of the bench that never got in the game in the playoffs. I, there's somebody, some, somebody probably knows who it is. I, I, I forget the name, but the, 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 the uh, Warriors just traded one of their players. He's been one of their, David Lee, been one of their key players, whatever, but he got injured. He didn't hardly play. And, 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 but guess what? He got the same ring. As the starters, as the, as the league MVP Stephen Curry got, he got the exact 
There is not a starter's ring. Sixth and seventh man ring. Scrubs ring. I don't know what y'all call it now. We used to call them scrubs. Everybody gets the same ring. I know y'all ain't dancing and shouting, excuse me for being so bold, but that's powerful right there. Everybody gets the same ring. One guy may get the MVP trophy, but everybody gets the guy that never even got in the playoffs or even hardly played throughout the year. The people in the office that never even stepped on the court and can hardly even walk because they're so uncoordinated. The guys that couldn't handle a basketball, if you put duct tape on them and stuck it to them, they get a ring. Same ring. It's kind of like one day we're all going to get the same response. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't think some of you are going to get a well done with trumpets and cymbals and whatever, and then others of you are going to get a well done. No. Doesn't matter who you are, what you did, where you came from, what your title, position, when you cross the finish line and you stand there that day, he's going to respond and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You may have sat in this chair, you may have stood behind that keyboard, you may have been, it doesn't matter, you're going to get the same reward. So if I'm going to get the same reward when it's all said and done, why try to be something now I'm not? I try to do something I'm really not called to do. Why not just be what I am, a son? You want to know who I am? I'm a son. You, know what, you want to know my value? Who my dad is. Well, what do you do? Well, if you want to talk about my worth, that doesn't matter. If the conversation is my worth, it's not my purpose, it's not my place in the vision. If you want to talk about my worth, it's simply who I am. I am a son of God. Part of this is old, you'll see in just a moment, but in, two, in the 2010 NBA Finals, the Los Angeles Lakers defeated the Boston Celtics to claim their 16th NBA title. All members of the squad received a championship... Sorry, there's a fly... It was distracting me on my iPad. Got it. All players received a championship ring. It's interesting to note that players such as Luke Walton, who I have heard of, and Adam Morrison, who I've never heard of, who barely get minutes, have more rings. Yes, they have multiple than players such as LeBron James, who are still eagerly trying to, trying to get one, which LeBron does have them now. But guys that do not get paid the millions and millions of dollars, do not get the endorsement contracts, are not recognized for their stardom, have more rings than the guy everybody knows and everybody idolizes. And listen to any, any, any professional athlete who has gone through an entire career and never won a ring. They will trade all of the individual awards that they won 
Talk to Dan Marino. He could care less about how great of a quarterback he was. There's one thing he never got. A ring. That there's a bunch of second-string quarterbacks that could not play as well as he could, never had the time on the field that he had, that they have something he doesn't. Well, if they ever, if they, you know, if they ever let me get up there behind that pulpit, that will, my value, my, I'll be ready to be a free agent because I'll have, I'll have some bargaining power because, no, you won't. Next time, the Lord willing, which will be a couple of weeks away, I think where I may be going next, John, The Baptist stands there in front of a crowd of people. And he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. The one that I've been telling you about. He says, I knew I wasn't the one. He's the one. The one I'm not worthy to even untie his shoes. He's the one. When nobody else knew he was the one, John said he's the one. When nobody was even, when, when nobody even knew who Jesus was, much less the fact he was the Messiah, John stands and boldly declares, there he is. The first public declaration that I know of in scripture that he's the one, John says it. And John knew he, John knew of himself, I'm not the one, he's the one. That was all well and good until a little while later. When John is now sitting in a prison and things are not going very well, he now sends word by some of his former disciples, I need you to go ask Jesus a question. Kind of reminds me of what some of us did when we were in you know, middle school and junior high, whatever. We write a note, do you like me? Check yes or no. Give it to your best friend to then take to the girl. To then, I want you to go ask Jesus a question. Are you the one? Wait a minute, John. Not too long ago, you said without hesitation, he's the one. And now you don't know. Was John a failure now because he's sitting in prison? Was John's worth any less now because he's sitting in prison? But John sure didn't see himself the same way in prison as he did standing in front of the crowd that day. Let me see the hands of those that are involved in AML, the Antioch Licensing Program. Let Let me see your hands. I know a lot of you said you're not specifically, you're not striving to be a preacher to get behind the pulpit, but... So those of you that in that group that, you know, you, you do believe at some point there's a pulpit ministry in your life, how many of you are dream, your dream is to preach one message and get stoned? I don't mean get stoned because it was so bad you go get high and forget about it. I mean, I mean, it's... I mean, it, it so pushes somebody's button the wrong way that you are one and done. No. I, I dreamed of being a preacher all my life. <laughs> my dream was not one message. 
My dream was multiple passage over many decades in many different places. Sorry if that bothers you. Oh, oh, Stephen gets one message, and you're done. Not done because you failed. Not done because you're no good. You're done because you did what you were called to do. And after you're one and done, there's a guy sitting there listening who is going to end up being used to write the majority of the New Testament. So because you only got one message and never wrote a letter, and he gets to preach many messages and write many letters, you are just a nobody, Stephen, because you didn't... How do you devalue the worth of Stephen when the result of his one message was a man who was named Paul and did what Paul did? My flesh is thrilled to death that at this point I've had some degree of longevity in my preaching. Over 20 years now. I hope my spirit could be content that if God decides, you know what, you got one more and you're done. Maybe it's one more and I'm not going to die, but one more and you're just going to have to sit on the sidelines and never do it again. Can you be content to be who you are and not question and devalue who you are because you no longer do what you did? If your worth is tied to this or those or this, or you got big trouble. Real problem is, is when your worth is tied to some of those things and you fail miserably. When you get up and preach a message and you feel like it absolutely, it didn't even get past the pulpit, it splattered on top of the pulpit. And you're waiting for the next one, so hopefully you can have a success and make you feel better. Of course, the problem is God senses that, and he starts saying, huh. If that's the case, it's going to be a little while before you get another good one. Because I can't have you tying who you are and how valuable and your worth into what you do. You. And I are, not will be, not are striving to become, but we are now a son. Everything else is what we do, what we are called to do. Your identity has got to be one thing. I am a son of God. And I am as much of a son of God as anybody else. I don't think some of y'all believe that, but it doesn't change the fact it's the truth. You are just as much of a son, individually, of God as anyone else. My standing here and teaching for the last 45, 50 minutes makes me no more of a son. Sister Stewart, sitting over there holding the iPad, controlling the sound is no less of a son than I am the one speaking. The folks that are hidden in that room up there helping to control the cameras and all of that stuff are no less of a son than me in the pulpit.
I'm sorry, we don't believe that. Well, you're just saying that, Brother Wright, and that just sounds good. Well, I do have Bible for what I'm saying. You don't have Bible for your opinion. I have. Oh, I understand how we operate in the carnal man, the carnal mind, but that's not the way the Word says it. It's not. The Word says we are sons. We get called to do different things. We get put in different positions, different roles, but it doesn't change our identity. I am a son. Father, I pray that you would help us tonight. God, I believe there are people in this room tonight that have been struggling with their worth and their value because they've attached it, connected to the wrong things. And many of us have fallen into the trap of determining our worth and our value by what we do when it must come from who we are, your sons. I pray, God, that a spirit of revelation would work in our hearts and lives. God, this is not an attempt tonight at some motivational self-help speech, but an attempt to get the principles of your word in our hearts and lives that it might impact the way we see ourselves and the way we see others and the way we see our place in your kingdom, that each of us individually can become what we're supposed to be and fulfill our place in the vision that you have for us, God. Help us tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Sister Trish, if you'll come. Ushers, if you'll come. We are going to... uh, Prepare for our offering as well as prepare to uh, split up our second session. Um, Quickly, to those of you that contributed in some way yesterday, whether food or those of you that helped serve for the funeral, thank you very much for uh, helping out and being a part. Um, It's a great day. There 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 was a great presence of God here. We... Uh, several folks with with very positive feedback. I had one uh, individual talk to me personally, and he said, I thought I was going to just a funeral, but uh, it was a lot more than that. He said, it was kind of interesting. He said, you say you're Pentecostal? I said, yes, sir. He said, said, how do you do it? I'm like, what? What What, what do you mean? He said, how do you do it? I'm like, how do you do Pentecostal or what? And there was a lady standing there with him. She said, I think he's talking about your, your, how you spoke. He said, you didn't have notes, did you? I said, no. I, he's like, how do you do it? She says, I, I get it. He channels. I thought, well, that's not quite the word that I would use. But the principle of what you're saying, my understanding, one of Terry's uh classmates said they're going to be coming visiting church and so thank you again for you contributed to make all that possible in some way thank you those of you that were ushers and greeters and all of that kind of stuff that uh, helps with the hospitality of an event like that thank you very much for for being a part Uh, remind you that sunday night after church here in arnold there is a dessert auction to help those that are going to Youth Congress. So I'm encouraging you that will be here in Arnold to please make plans to stop by after church for a few minutes. Be a part of that dessert auction. Bring your uh, checkbooks and get ready to, to give some high dollars for some good desserts. And uh, bless the young people going to Youth Congress. Sunday we have a regular schedule of services wherever you're supposed to be morning and night. And then second session tonight, here we go again.
Those of you that are normally in the fellowship hall for Antioch U Level 2, you go there, please. This will be your final Level 2 class tonight. Um, brothers, Brother U is doing stewardship Level 2 in the chapel. So those that are normally in the chapel, this is a makeup. Okay, here we go. I'm going to mess this all up. So if you need a Level 2 stewardship makeup class with Brother U, Level 2 makeup class, Brother U will be in the chapel tonight for that. If you need level one servanthood, level one servanthood makeup, you will go to the multi-purpose room. If you need level one prayer, what is it? Makeup. Level one prayer, what is it? Makeup class. You will go to the 105 rooms, which are the divided rooms uh, down underneath of us over here. So Fellowship Hall, you're normally in there, level two. Please go there. Stewardship level two, if you need the makeup, chapel, servanthood level one, multi-purpose room, prayer, what is it, level one, room 105. Praise God. We're going to pray for our offering, and then when we do that, if you're going to a class, you can be dismissed. The remainder of you that are staying here, if you would please move to the front half. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for another opportunity to gather together and be in your presence, to be with Fellow believers, thank you for your presence that's been with us tonight. I pray your blessings upon this offering tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would use it for the work and the needs of your kingdom, God, that you would bless your people as conduits through which you can work. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's worship the Lord with our giving. 